Welcome to the Leader's Edge podcast. I'm Sandy Laycox, Editor-in-Chief of Leader's Edge. In this very special episode of our podcast, I talk with Patrick Kinney, retired Executive Vice President of Enterprise Distribution Management and Travelers, and now founder of Wishheart Consulting, a consulting and inspirational speaking business. Patrick shares his personal journey from a low-income neighborhood in Philadelphia, a very smart guy with no plans to go to college, and how he got from there to here. It's a heartwarming and colorful story and a great lesson in talent, leadership, and what is possible for people in this industry if they persevere and are supported by their company. Please enjoy it. Patrick, it is so great to have you here with me today. I'm very excited to hear about your uh, personal history a little bit and your time spent at Travelers. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here with you and be on your podcast and uh, spend some time with you. Well, great. We will just jump right in. Um, you have a very interesting personal history uh, that I think would be great for our listeners to hear about. So let's start. You had some very specific moments in your life that were pretty impactful. So let's start with uh, when you were a high school kid, not really thinking about going to college. Tell us about that story. Well, it, it kind of starts back in eighth grade. I grew up in inner city Philly and kind of a neighborhood that wasn't known for a lot of means. Uh, and I got identified early uh, in sixth, seventh grade that I potentially had a talent and should should be considered to go to one of the better high schools. Uh, my mother and my grandmother got interested in it. I had wanted nothing to do with going to the high school that wasn't where all my friends were going to be and, you know, play football and basketball for them. But they got me to take a test for this high school called St. Joe's Prep. And I ended up winning a full scholarship, full academic scholarship to go there. Um, it was really hard to go there because it was not in the neighborhood. It was people going there from not from my type of background. Uh, and by the time by the time high school was over, I'd kind of blown the opportunity that I'd gotten to get educated. You know, I, I did well in school, but wasn't interested by the end and started getting lost in alcohol and, and other things in the, in the late 70s uh, and decided I wasn't going to go to college. Um, went in to take the SAT test um, drunk and um, just filled in the answers on the SAT part for the math. And so I scored an 880 on the test. And um, the reason why I didn't originally get into college is because I didn't put, you know, my mother made me take the test. My revolting was to not be a good boy the night before. Uh, and so after that, I graduated, went to Wildwood, New Jersey, and was just going to, I don't know what I was going to do. It was partying, having time. And then on August 15th, my mother showed up at, on the door of this apartment that we were in. Uh, my parents didn't own a car. She made my father borrow a car, drive to Wildwood, New Jersey, which is a hundred miles from Philly, to tell me that I was going to college. And she you know, came up to this house that we were all living in, a den of iniquity, as she called it. Uh, and um, my mom, what are you doing here? She said, well, you're going to college. I said, no, I'm not. I didn't fill anything out for college. She says, yeah, I know I did. Yeah. I, filled out, I filled out the application and your essay and I sent it in and you got accepted to Penn State. And we need to get on the bus to go to Penn State for um, an orientation. I'm like, mom, 
what part, what do you mean Penn State? Well, you're going to Hazleton, Pennsylvania, which is a branch campus. So I'm like, mom, I don't even know where Hazleton is. Are you kidding me? And we're not doing this. So we went round and round on the front step of this beach house. And finally, my mother said, well, if you get on, if I buy you a case of beer, will you get on the bus? <laughs> And in, 1970, in 1979, I would have followed a case of beer anywhere. Uh, and so I got on the bus with my mother from Wildwood to Hazleton, Pennsylvania, drank the beer with my mom yeah. uh, and um, went to the orientation. And a guy came out who, uh, who just caught my attention and I kind of got a little interested in it. Uh, because my intention was to drink mom's beer, go to Hazleton, go back to Wildwood and call it a day. I wasn't going to go to college. And guy made a speech. His name was Bill Lockwood. And he just somehow touched me in this gym. And I said, I'm going to give this a try. And uh, I liked college. And all four years, you know, at Penn State went fine and had lots of issues and had place to live, didn't have enough money, you know, had to hitchhike back and forth all the time. But ultimately, we, we made it work. And we graduated. Yeah. And I, you know, I can remember when we graduated. The only time my parents ever went to Penn State was the day I graduated. Uh, and when I came out of the, uh, you know, I don't think I've ever seen my mother that proud or crying. Um, I remember picking her up and twirling her around and said, we did it, Mom. We did it. Uh, Mom really did it. I showed up for the four years, but if she didn't care, I probably wouldn't be here. Yeah. So you graduated, you did it. So yeah. then you had a, um, you didn't have a job, right? That's correct. Um, yeah. But you got a job interview with Travelers. I did, yeah. So, so tell us about that experience. Yeah. So um, what happened was I was, I actually was an economics major, got hired by Pennzoil in April of 1983, and was supposed to go to Shreveport, Louisiana to be a, a a trainee economist. Mm -hmm. uh, so I had a job and a friend of mine, at least I thought I had a job. That's yeah. it's the, it's 1983. The economy's horrible. Interest rates are 18% or some number. Um, Volcker hasn't yet broken the back of inflation. It's just, uh, there are no jobs. There are no jobs in Pennsylvania. So I took this Pennzoil job without ever going to Shreveport. You know, they'd all come to campus. And my friend came to me and said, I know you got a job, but this Travelers is interviewing on campus. Why don't you take the interview? So I took the interview. Um, it seemed to go great, but um, didn't hear anything from them. And didn't eventually, Pennzoil called and took the job away. So the day before I graduated on June 1st, June 2nd, they called June 1st to say, we don't have the job anymore. Graduated. Now I'm unemployed. I'm back in the at the house back in the inner city, no job. My old man is nuts about the fact that he's a disabled Philly cop and you got a college education and you're hanging out in my house, get out of here. <laughs> uh, and literally on June 28th, phone rang, it was travelers. And they asked me if I could get to Hartford, Connecticut by the next day to do an interview. What I found out later is travelers hired 21 people for its underwriting class. Then they only hired one underwriting class a year in 1983. Just put that in your head. And Travelers was less than $3 billion in total premium in 1983. Uh, and whoever number 21 was, which has kind of gotten lost to history, came to the first day of the training class, sat through it and said, I'm not a numbers person and quit. 
And so I must have been number 22. And they picked up the phone and they called me. The lady and I went, you know, she said, can you be in Hartford by, you know, tomorrow? I'm like, well, I don't have any money. I don't have a car. Um, and she kind of didn't really register that and ultimately said, if you can be here by tomorrow, you know, we're going to interview you in Hartford, Connecticut, which I didn't know where it was. All I had heard of was the Hartford Whalers. I mean, if, if you grow up in the inner city and your parents don't own a car, if you can't walk there or the L doesn't go there, it doesn't exist. Right. Uh, it just right. doesn't exist. And, and obviously so, for all of our listeners, this is before the internet. <laughs> yeah, way before the internet. Way before the internet. Uh, and so uh, my dad was a disabled cop now and he was working as a bartender. And I went over to see him to tell him at nine o'clock in the morning, I got this job. All, you know, I got this opportunity. Um, dad, can you give me money? I don't have any money. And we don't own a car. And how I'd always gotten around was hitchhiking, but I didn't think I could hitchhike almost 250 miles to Hartford, yeah. you know, that day. And so um, sitting next to my dad was his really good friend, Johnny, the booty use, listening to the conversation I'd known. Mr. Yu, since I was born, played football and went to school with all his kids. And uh, he said, how much money do you need? I said, I don't know. He said, well, go call the airline. So I called U.S. Air, uh, and they said $287 for a plane ticket. And so I came back and I said, you know, there's a four o'clock flight. Here's the number. Never been on a plane in my life. He said, okay, I'll, I'll lend you 300 But if, you, you know, if you don't pay me back by next Friday, it'll cost you three fifty. I'm like, okay. I took the money. He gave me three hundred. Couldn't do this today. I took a train to the airport. I bought a ticket with cash. Post nine eleven, you can't do that. By the time I was done, like I didn't know things about taxes and conveyance fees, but ultimately at the end of the day, my three hundred bucks was gone, and I got to Hartford with um, no money no ability to get a cab being an inner city kid i thought shit they'd have you know bus or something right, they didn't. Right. Uh, and so i ended up having to hitchhike from the hartford airport to the hotel that travelers had gotten me called the senesta hotel downtown it's about 13 miles <laughs> i pretty much walked the whole way and i got to the interview i got to the hotel and now i ran into my next problem I didn't have a driver's license. I have no ID. I have no credit cards. I have no money. Uh, it's 1030 at night. I haven't eaten. They won't let me in. You can't call travelers and you can't text somebody. So yeah. it, took me, it took me about 30 minutes to convince the woman to let me have the room. Uh, and I wasn't allowed to eat. Uh, I wasn't allowed to charge anything. I got up in the morning. I went to travelers. Uh, and the lady who had interviewed me or called me, her name was Gillette, Jeanette Goulet. And she uh, took me in this conference room and said, I'm glad, I'm, I'm surprised you're here. I didn't think you'd make it when we were talking yesterday. I said, yes, yeah, so am I. Uh, <laughs> but I'm here. I'm here. I was wearing my Arnold Palmer Sears sucker suit, which your crowd may not know that that Sears was the hotbed for clothes. My oh, mother yeah. Could, my mother <laughs> could charge that suit on her credit card. The only credit card, she, the only room she had. Uh, and... Um, so I'm kind of thinking, like, how do we get to the topic of how we get reimbursed? And so I didn't have to get there. She came out and said, thank you for coming. When you get home, send me your receipts. And in two or three weeks, we'll send you the money. I'm like, oh, no, that's not going to work. Mm -hmm. So I kept trying to ask her 
different ways of could you pay me earlier? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it was going nowhere. And so after about 10 minutes, I finally said to her, Miss Goulet, when you called me yesterday, did I sound like I had any money? No. Did did I told you I didn't drive? I don't own a car. My parent? Yes. Well, I borrowed the money from a bookie, and that's how I got here. And this woman looked at me, I think, like she saw the devil. She got up, walked out of the conference room, and left me there. And uh, I started panicking, you know, looking around, trying to figure out, figured I'm not getting a job. Now I got to get to 300 back because I can't deal with the two, three week time frame. So I started looking around as any good inner city kid to see what I could steal that was worth 300 bucks. Uh, And there was nothing. nothing. So um, right at the point that I was completely panicked, she came back in and she had a guy with him who I thought for sure was security. Uh, And I found out after his name was Bill Bannon uh, and uh, what threw the travelers off was that I went to this fantastic high school and you know, it's a very, very wealthy high school. Uh, and so they kind of misread the cues. So he said to me, son, this, you know, Jeanette has told me this story that you borrowed the money from a bookie and kind of hitchhiked here from the airport last night. Yep. I did. He looked at me and he said, son, what part of Philadelphia are you from? Luckily for me, Bill Bannon is from Philadelphia, and he was from a neighborhood, two uh, neighborhoods north of mine called Alamy. Uh, and I said, well, sir, I'm from Philadelphia. He said, I know that. What part of Philadelphia? I said, well, I'm from the Kensington section. He stopped, looked at the woman, said, kid borrowed the money from the book. You give me money. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, I went through the interviews, and um, – This is really poignant today, and I might get really emotional. Um, The last person I interviewed with was Chuck Clark, who worked for the Travelers for 55 years. He would become second father to me, and he died last Friday. Oh, my gosh. And um, he was the last interview I had. And and, uh, it was in the fancy Travelers dining room. Uh, at this point, when I was walking to the interviews, you could see people running ahead of me and telling the, st- telling the story. And they were telling the story from the standpoint of, this kid is nuts. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, if you grow up in the inner city in a place like where I grew up, that you have an incredible street sense. You're not going to survive. If you can't read people and know what's going on around you, you're not going to make it. Uh, and, and so I could tell they weren't thrilled with hiring because I thought I was crazy. Um, in lunch with Chuck, he asked me, you know, why should I hire you? And I looked at him and said, Mr. Clark, I don't know what your job is. I don't know what an underwriter does. Truth is, I don't really care. You know how I got here today. I need a job. Hire me and you will never forget it. And he said, son, no one's ever answered the question that way in my 30 years of interview. And I said, well, it work. <laughs> and he said, that depends. And that was the end of lunch. And we went downstairs to HR and the lady was standing there and she had $375 in cash. They had a, they had a um, cab waiting for me. So I actually made 75 bucks, <laughs> went home, paid the booter, got drunk as a skunk. 
and the next morning they called back again, nine o'clock the next morning. He said, would you like to have a job? I'd like to hire you. Would you like to come to Hartford, Connecticut? And I said, when? And uh, um, they said, you need to be here in two days. And it was, it was, I had to be there by July 5th. And it was like a couple of days. They repeated the same problem. They didn't think through, well, how the hell was I going to get there? Nothing. And so I ended up hitchhiking there. Um, <laughs> I, I, left, I left I left my buddies, uh, Joey and Eddie and my cousin Steve, who were all now gone on the uh, Atlantic City boardwalk as they were going to go to the Beach Boys concert. And I hitchhiked to Hartford, Connecticut. For, spent the first night kind of just wandering around town to go to work. Uh, and it took travelers a day or two to figure out I was actually homeless. Um, people adopted me in the class. They fed me. They gave me clothes. They taught me how to drive. Someone actually loaned me the money to buy a car by the end of August. Um, but that's how I got there. <laughs> and uh, stayed there a long time, but that's how I got there. Well, that's First of all, I'm so sorry for for your loss and for the traveler's loss. I um, it's very obviously to lose someone who, you know, was such an important person in your life is is terribly hard. Um, it's an amazing story. It shows, I think, both willingness on their part to do take a risk on you, and also something inside of you that kept you know, allowing you to, all right, mom, I'll go, you know, I'll, all right, I'll get there. You know, you, something in you kept you doing that. So. Well, he would tell me, you know, I became obviously really good friends with him. And he would tell me years later, he had made up his mind. You know, when they came telling him the story of how I got there, he said, my answer to them was, you know, I'm hired. You know, he said he had made up the mind. He was going to hire me unless I threw up on them. Uh, and, and, and his and his thought process was he said to the HR folks we talking about you didn't do your job this kid figured it out yeah he figured he it, it out work. he figured I'm it gonna, away he figured it out I'm gonna hire him. I don't care he figured it out you didn't get it right he got here I'm hiring yeah. and uh, you know I, I guess it tells you you have to look at every situation not through your own eyes but what were they actually trying to accomplish so you were at Travelers for a long time. You retired at a very years. high level. Yeah. Um, obviously, you we don't have enough time to go through everything, but give us some highlights about what what did you learn there? I, I'm obviously you learned about insurance, but I'm I bet there's some. You other know things. what? I really did learn about insurance. What I learned about was people, and what I learned: nothing happens without collaboration. Nothing happens without people. If you make it all about you, it ain't going to work. You make it all about everybody else, it will be about you. Uh, and what I learned was that everything comes down to people. And if you apply how they feel and their talent to a problem and mutually understand where you're going, you can accomplish things that nobody thought was possible. Insurance is just a vehicle for working with people to solve problems. Uh, and 
fortunately, I had 14 jobs over 38 years. I did almost every job you could do uh, in the place. Um, you know, I had no real career path. I just followed what I liked. And, you know, a lot of, you know, for the beginning, number of years of your career, you're deciding where you're going by how you perform and you get to a director, assistant director. But at some point in your career, they decide mm-hmm. if you're if you can go to the next level. Uh, it's not your decision. You could want to be an executive vice president, but at some point in your career, someone else decides that. And uh, it was a phenomenal run. I learned a lot of stuff. But what I mainly learned at the end of the day, everything's about people how they interact with each other, how they respect each other, how they treat each other. And if you can get them to do that, they can do anything. That's a, that's a great point. Um, it always comes down to people. I mean, I don't know, no matter what it is, yeah. it, all, it doesn't matter if it's the charity board you're on. It doesn't matter if it's low. It always comes down to how people treat people. So for... Young professionals, maybe starting in insurance, maybe, um, you know, in college, still looking at it as a career. What advice do you have? Oh, this whole thing is advice. So, I yeah. mean, there's well, I have, a lot if here, you don't but... mind, I, I have uh, I have like eight or nine points that I think are applied to anything that can that every anyone should be thinking about every day uh, in terms of your job, your life or how you think about being being successful. So do you mind if I share with you those ideas? Not at all. Okay. So um, I think the number one thing is no matter what, no matter what job you have, regardless of what you get paid, do it better than anyone else. If you never worry about the nickels, you'll make a lot of dimes. Never be afraid to self be, be able be afraid to surround yourself with the best people, support them, and let them shine. Make it about everyone else, and they will always make it about you. Everything, no matter what, is about people. Put the issues on the table, never the individual. Understand them as humans first. No one respect everything about them, their heritage, background, gender, who they love, what's important to them. And together you will do great work. I think you always have to put getting to the collective best answer first and never forget that that is really the only objective. Stay humble. It really matters. No one cares about your title. They only care about how you treat them. Excellence means understanding, and no matter what you do, that you have to make the team every day, regardless of your title or your tenure, to ensure the collective sense success of the team. Find a mentor and be a mentor. Sponsor an ally that makes the difference for someone else. Give honest feedback that makes others better, but most importantly, be even more willing to take, embrace, and deploy the feedback you receive. Be the people, be the person who puts people first and run from anyone who doesn't. Love what you do, or it's a job. And if you don't love it, please, please find your passion. Uh, remember that nothing ever happens, nothing ever happens without humans collaborating and understanding each other and wanting to get to a mutual best answer. 
And I think if you doesn't no matter where you show up, anywhere, college, travelers, with nothing, all you have is you alone in your boat. Your job is to get everyone else in your boat. And you know, push yourself to accomplish things that are greater than you individually can ever imagine. Be daring and unafraid. Be willing to try new things. Support it always by your leaders. Give your all every day. See the positive and the challenges you will face. Lead people through it. If you follow those, I'm pretty sure you will have an amazingly successful career in life. I agree. Those are great. And they're the kind of the mantras I live by. Yeah. I don't I never once asked somebody what's what's the job pay? What is the raise to take it? I just did it. Um, I, I do think too many people worry about the next position or the next title or it always is gonna come down to who you, how you perform, not what you ask for. It's what you do. Absolutely. All right, last question for you. <laughs> On the flip side. Yes, the Eagles are going to win the Super Bowl, yes. Oh, no, that's not true. (laughs) It's not going to be the Commanders, come on. No, that's not, yeah, I agree with that, too. Maybe the Giants, maybe the Giants. Now we're in real trouble. Sorry, can't help it. (laughs) Um, All right, flip it around for travelers. What would you say to any organization that is wanting to attract the best, wanting to attract these kinds of people? What's your advice to them? I think my advice is always don't label people. Don't look at who they are or where they came from. Look at what they can do and find the people that are willing to learn. You know, I, I did a podcast for my university, Penn State, and guy asked me what you learned in college. And I said, I think what I learned in the college is how to learn. Mm-hmm. Because through your entire career, if you're not willing to learn and change, you're going to go nowhere. So I would imply I would implore employers to find the right people, but also then once you have them, nurture them, let them learn, let them fail. I failed at a lot of things. And you know, going to the school of hard knocks is where you learn. Uh, and I do think we've got a little bit more of a society that doesn't understand that we do do things wrong. Mm-hmm. And too selfish and across the board individuals. So I would tell travelers to find people who really think outside the box and be willing to accept them and who they are. You never know what they can do. Patrick, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you. I love to hear your story. I think you have great advice for folks. So I'm very excited about this podcast. Thank you. That was Patrick Kinney, retired as Executive Vice President of Enterprise Distribution Management at Travelers and now founder of Wishheart Consulting. I really hope you enjoyed this podcast. Check out the rest of our podcasts at leadersedge.com, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud.